0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in. Today is a bonus episode. What that means is that this episode has little or nothing to do with my mission and vision. Instead, I'm talking with cool and interesting people about cool and interesting things. Sometimes these discussions will be with people who I agree with. Sometimes with people I disagree with. But either way, we are exploring topics which I feel are either interesting, important, or both. I feel strongly that it's important to be able to have a respectful and honest conversation about any topic, especially the ones I disagree with. It's only by being curious about what makes other people tick that we can understand why they believe what they do and why they act how they do. I believe that the more we understand each other, the more united the world will be. And that's a good thing. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And we're rolling live for another bonus edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the podcast. This is part of a series of non-related podcast episodes that I'm doing with cool and interesting people that are doing cool and interesting things. So today I am really pleased to have James Top on the show. James is walking across Canada and Mm -hmm. let's start with that, James. Actually, let's back up the bus just a little bit further. Let's go to um, why you joined the military in the first place. Well,
1: I think, you know, when we were young, we didn't really have any high ideals. I know I sure sure didn't, you know, I mean, um, I joined the infantry uh, for, uh, you know, to go out and meet people and get adventure and I got plenty of that. So, um, you know, I've been, uh, I joined back in the 90s, uh, did the business uh, in, um, in the Balkans, came back. I uh, did a bit of uh, did business as a paratrooper, and then um, uh, I was initially joined with the PPCLI, uh, got out for a little bit, uh, nine months, got back in, uh, got back in as an RCR. Then I rebadged back to the Patricias towards the end of my uh, my time in. So uh, I got in as a Patricia, I got out as a Patricia, and in that time I had, um, you know, pretty, you know, a little bit of turbulence uh, early on as a young guy, and um, managed to still pull off uh, twenty-eight full uh, years, um, successful years between, uh, you know, nine, uh, ninety-two or ninety-one and 90, uh,
0: 2019. So, so got out, and transitioned to the reserves. What in year? 2019. What year did you get in then? Ninety-one. Yeah. What battalion were you in, and uh, what was your first posting? Third, third battalion of Victoria. Oh, well, so we were there together. Probably. Yeah, we, we were. I was in Victoria. Yeah, I was
1: in Charlie Company.
0: Oh, oh well, we must have met and just didn't uh, connect then, because <laughs> uh, we were there at the same time, same place. I was 92, 93. I was uh, in the third, and then the battalion came over to uh, Calgary and uh, stayed with it at uh, in the first, and did you go to Delta Company then? When you got uh, when you went, when I went to California, no, I was
1: in. I got posted in, uh, in and uh, like it would have been like yeah, ninety one, ninety two, something like that. And then I was in Charlie Company the whole time. We went overseas to Croatia, and I ended up staying for a year there. I got oh. I was attached posted to um, um, to PP because they needed track drivers, so I stayed. And then when I was I was in Recce when I was there. Ironically, uh, Mr. Ayer was my platoon commander in, uh, during that tour.
0: No kidding. Yeah, those double tours were brutal. I knew a bunch of guys that did double and triple tours, so a year and a half. And um, that didn't work out so well for him, not in that place. Uh, my tour in Croatia was 94, the summer tour, with, uh, with the 1st Battalion. But um, that, How many tours did you end up uh, doing, all told, up to now? Uh, six,
1: I think. Yeah, two in uh two back to back in Croatia, one Bosnia and Macedonia and two in uh Afghanistan.
0: That is a lot of ground pounding, brother. And thank you for your service. That is that is an epic uh career and to do it for such a long time. Now, it must have been a big decision for you to decide to speak out because we all know the rules. When you're in uniform, you keep your trap shut and, uh, and you don't talk to the media. That's, um, rule one that we've all known forever. So what was it inside you that said, I can't do it. I can't keep my mouth shut. I've got to, I've got to say my piece.
1: Well, as you know, in response to uh, what we the pandem- what was called the pandemic we uh, had a number of um, some things that uh, that were put into place uh, with regards to restrictions and mandates and then in october of uh, sorry august of last year it was announced that you know the federal government was going to require all of its employees to um, to have a vaccination or prove their vaccination show or disclose their vaccination status And um, that, uh, because I was still in the reserves, and and at the time too, when I transferred to the reserves in 2019, I was able to pursue a a new career with the public service. So I was a facility manager and um, I was employed in two different kind of federal government departments. So in the first instance, um, number one, I had issues with the policy itself. And just to be clear, it has not that much to do with vaccines as it does with, with this kind of intrusion into our personal lives. Now, say what you will um, about uh, being um, fully immunized for operational readiness uh, as a reservist. I still believe I had this kind of um, ability to make a decision with, with that regard, but I still, you know, had my questions about um, the, uh, the the procedure itself, and but... Having said that, I also had more of an issue with this kind of um, uh, blanket policy for all members of the federal government. So, with as a public servant, I was uh, placed—you know—I objected to the policy. Um, I I didn't disclose my vaccination status, and I was placed on leave without pay, and. uh, it was November of last year with the public service. So I was not getting paid, but I was still employed. So that meant I couldn't, um, you know, collect uh, employment insurance or anything, but that really wasn't the main issue I had because I ended up getting a job anyway, but I'll get to that after. And then when uh with regards to uh, my career as a reservist, now I was told I was going to be uh, administratively released under uh, on, on a 5F. So that applies to both red force and reserve personnel, if you fail to disclose your vaccination status or remain unvaccinated. So and I did both as a matter of fact. So um, I just felt that, you know, given the, the length of time this product was on the market, um, the questions that were raised about its uh, efficiency and its safety and a number of different things, you know, and I just didn't think that it was um, a requirement for me. Uh, because I wasn't really operational, so to speak, and to have to uh, ha- have been released after all this time on a 5F was not something I was really willing to uh, stand by and, and um, just say nothing about. But you know, between November and January, uh, you know, I, I was uh, it was a, it was um, it was a blow to me. Like I, I suffered a lot, and I realized I wasn't the only one. There was plenty of other people reg Forth and reservists who were, who were reeling from this kind of treatment. And, um, I just, after having seen what I saw in, um, in Ottawa, now I wasn't there, let's be perfectly clear on that. I wasn't in Ottawa for any protests. I just saw them happen and it gave me a cause to be, uh, to be inspired because, you know, I think what we were told happened from our traditional media and what, what was was seen to happen from other sources, you know, a few different stories going on there.
0: Yeah, I know a few people that were actually there in Ottawa at the time, and how it was portrayed in CBC and CTV, is was nowhere near how, what it was actually like. Uh, The people that were talking to me were saying it was beautiful, it was friendly and peace and love kind of thing. (laughs) It was like um, Woodstock, and everybody's friendly and kind and, and just a great energy, and that is the opposite of how it was reported,
1: and and that's something I'm I'm experiencing myself too with regards to uh, the experience I'm having with the um, with the traditional media. But I can get into that a little later. But um, so the the fact is, I was I was taken. Uh, you know, it, it it brought me kind of out of a pit. I, I'm not going to lie. I was in a dark place, and uh, having seen a bunch of Canadians come together. And um, you know, push back on these policies that, like you know, were were, if you just if you were of the mind that there was nothing, not a big deal, and it was just something you went through with to go along to get along, then you really didn't experience the 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 depth of suffering that um, was inflicted on people who decided not to receive this uh, shot and then and then lost their jobs because of it. So um, it. it I saw that happen. It really inspired me. It gave me cause to have hope. And then, when I saw how that, when I saw how they were treated, and um, you know, it didn't appear to be any any um, desire by our reps in the federal government to have a conversation or have a dialogue or to you know to make any kind of um, uh, to you know effort to resolve the the, the crisis.
0: Yeah, the and, no accommodations uh, made at all. It was just obey or else, and that was it.
1: And and I have a problem with that. I mean, as a, as a serving soldier, um, both full-time and reserve, I don't think that we ever uh, got into a position where somebody said, you know, always follow orders no matter what, because we know where that goes. And as a matter of fact, I think we both remember uh, certain things like Somalia, right, and everything that happened because of that. So,
0: Well, there is such a thing as unlawful orders, and it seems to me that... You and I understand unlawful orders, but uh, police don't seem to. Uh, I don't think that's really part of their culture. But if there's an unlawful order, like if you're told to murder somebody that, uh, that isn't supposed to die, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it is actually your duty to not follow that order if, it's an un- if you believe it's an unlawful order. And uh, I believe in military law, they're not allowed to spank you for that. If you, if you believe that you're uh, re- refusing an unlawful order?
1: Well, having said that, um, we can get into the nature of the charges after, but this is kind of where you know what led me to, to, to initiate this thing called Canada Marches and, and, and March and Protest from Vancouver to Ottawa. So, you know, I did consider this, this mandate, the, the implementation of this policy to be illegal, unlawful and unethical. And I felt strongly enough about it to put my uniform on and say something in public. So um, that that was what happened. And you know, uh, I, I came and between you know November and January, seeing the protests, seeing how that protest was uh, dispersed, and then seeing uh, you know veterans actually the way that they were treated on the war memorial was uh, you know the just the um, the worst kind of uh thing i could imagine happening and uh, that's kind of what spurred me into action right so um i got uh out into the public on a saturday on february the 12th and then a few days later i announced that i would be leaving on february the 20th and uh, on the 19th to the 20th we saw that uh, kind of violent disruption of the protests and that kind of just you know at that point, I was absolutely sure that this is what I needed to do. It's like something had to be said. Something needed to be done. It was peaceful, and uh, brought attention to these issues, right? And um, and that's that's kind of how it went down.
0: Well, it's a hell of a effort, and all the way to Ottawa now. Uh, last I read, you're gonna are you going to keep going from Ottawa?
1: That's right, but not from Ottawa. So we uh, we got in to ottawa on june the 30th it was uh it was a pretty um the whole thing you know 131 days of marching with uh i wouldn't call it a rest day because there was still lots of work to be done but every fifth or sixth day we did not march right so you know after all this time and then having got into ottawa on june the 30th um you know we completed the march i touched the tomb i i got up i said a few words and then um you know that was it you know i i in the interim, you know, I had had got this meeting with members of parliament, which was one of the, you know, one of the things we wanted to do was to kind of bring to their attention, the damage that has been done. And, you know, honestly, a lot of them, the ones that chose to spoke to me anyway, they, they know what's happening to to folks who are, who are suffering from um, this kind of loss of employment and this, you know, divide that they've seen in both the professional personal lives. So, you know, I had this meeting, we concluded the march on June the 30th, and um, I had uh, I have a team here that helped me get here, so there wasn't just an individual effort, right? Um, early on, a number of folks come forward and said, you know, they want to help, they want to be a part of this. And if I didn't have them helping me, I don't, you know, I definitely wouldn't have got here as fast and in a good shape as I did. So, um,
0: and how is your health uh, holding up your knees, your back, everything?
1: Yeah, the feet, are, the feet are feeling it. But, you know, I felt good enough to come to the conclusion that this was something that needed to to continue just because of the fact that, you know, federal government employees are back to work um, except for CAF members. And they're still uh, sitting out there for the ones that got the 5F. They're not being invited back. Um, and furthermore, the ones that are waiting for their release, I don't know what's going on with them, what kind of limbo they're sitting in right now. Um, There was a number of um, people who had this objection. They were just told to stay home and not come into work, and they've been that way since uh, January. One
0: one of the guys uh, that I met uh, up at Canna Connect in Edmonton, Theo Fleury and I were invited to do a speaking gig up there for the guys that were getting kicked out of the military because they don't want to get the poke. And one of the fellows I met, uh, about 23 years of service, as storied of a career as you could possibly have, free fall, commando, all the high-speed, low-drag stuff. And uh, he said, look, even if I complied right now, doesn't matter because my career is over anyway. You know, I will never be forgiven for this. Um, How are the, the soldiers that are resisting the jab being treated by the military right now?
1: Well, I can't speak for um, anybody who's in because I don't have that much contact with them. And, and, and honestly, they're forbidden to talk to me or acknowledge my presence. And I found that out because I walked past um, two bases. Well, three, actually, if you count Mucha. Sure. Um, you know, they're, they've been told by their chain of command not to be seen with me or have any pictures with me or even follow me on Facebook because they'll be charged. So this is the state we're in right now. They
0: would be charged. Yeah. That's a little excessive, even for the military. Uh, (laughs) Well, in the Army, we give up our civil rights, right? So um, because we're not civilians, therefore you don't have civil rights. But we never gave up the human rights. And uh, freedom of association is one of those things, unless you're a terrorist or a Chinese informant or or something like that, and there's Schedule A countries that you're not allowed to go to, and like, okay, that makes sense. That's a national security security threat. But basically, the D&D has decided to treat you as a terrorist as a national security threat. Is, Is that your feeling of it?
1: Well, I can't, like I said, it's a speculation. I don't know, but I know that, you know, and without naming names, this is what happened. This is what I was told kind of by, um, you know, anonymously, and let's put it that way. So sure. this is the state that we're in. And, um, you know, to go back, that's that's just one aspect of how soldiers, you know, the ones who complied, I guess, are are, are doing okay, but the ones that didn't, Actually, let me rephrase that. The one that, you know, went ahead and got the shot or disclosed their status, whatever. Um, there's, there's, this, there's resentment there. There's a, there's a, I, I'm kind of aware of that in a way because they. one of the things I decided to do when I started this march was clearly state that I'm doing this because how it's affected me but I'm also doing it because the way that this was, you know, direct uh, coercion of people, they were told that if they didn't um, comply and obey, then they would be uh, released or, you know, and also reprimanded or or you know lose their positions or whatever right so
0: one of the it's coercion one, one of the arguments against your position and which is also my position but um one of the arguments about it that it kind of holds water is like hey we all we've <laughs> all run the vaccine gauntlet before you and I went over to Yugoslavia we literally mm-hmm. walked the gauntlet with people with needles on each side and got jabbed God knows how many times we've got the little yellow book Uh, that shows all the pokes that we got Uh, I was sick as a dog for the next couple days but um, we've all gone through that Uh, prior to deployment we get poked like crazy and then it happened to you again uh, prior to Afghanistan walk the vaccine gauntlet again and get jammed all uh, full of stuff and so people are saying well you've done that so what the hell's the problem what do you have to say to them
1: yeah, uh, number one, those are vaccines that are extensively studied uh, and tested for several years, uh, if not longer, before they're actually introduced into our system. Um, so there's that. This one is, uh, has not been and is still in an experimental phase. Uh, number uh, two, I do not believe that it provides the uh, protection and is not as efficient as we are told due to the fact that um, you can still get sick with COVID after you received it. So um, there's that. Uh, Number two, uh, I don't need to be deployed as a reservist. So what's the requirement for me to have this shot?
0: So let's do that bit of housekeeping. Um, So put this together for me. You have a Patricia hat badge, but you're classified as a reservist right now. Uh, Do the math for me on that.
1: Uh, because I didn't have all the accoutrements for my reservist uniform. And furthermore, I felt uh, that, you know, the Patricias are the, for me, the unit I joined with. And um, that was the, what I wanted to go out representing.
0: Okay. So you mix and matched a little bit for uh, uh, for that. Yeah. But okay.
1: like I said, there was a more symbolic aspect to this. Like I, okay. I this is... Uh, how, how do you put it? Like, I mean, with being uh, being inducted into the Army and being a part of this regiment, I um, identify with strongly, and it was what I wanted to go out there wearing because I wanted yeah. people to see that.
0: No, I, I read you. Uh, so what reserve unit are you with then? Royal Eddies?
1: Royal West Regiment.
0: Oh, okay. Roger that. Now, there has been some very bizarre pro- counter-protests against you that I don't understand, uh, was watching one of the clips, and I wrote down some of the signs here. Uh, there was a lot of rainbow signs, which uh, I, I don't know why they would have a problem with what you're doing. Uh, Antifa signs, uh, we don't like white supremacists. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, I, I really don't get where that connection is. But if you had a chance uh, to actually have a conversation with any of the counter-protesters to say, Hey, what? what what are you doing? Why? <laughs> I, I'm not about any of these things. Have you had a chance to actually converse with any of the counter protesters?
1: No, of course not. Um, because when I, uh, so let me put it this way. When I started this thing, I, I put the uniform on I made the video and that was the first and last time I did that. You know, that was, that was the, that was all I needed to do. Um, and then I did the, then I did the March. And and since I started the, the, the positive has far outweighed the negative and any, any, the one person that I did meet who kind of, you know, had something to say and then didn't run away after I met them in uh, when we were marching through downtown Winnipeg. And, um, what he had said was, um, so this would have been you know, early, mid-May, when some of the, the mask uh, mandates were removed for a you know, requirement to go into stores with masks on. Um, and there were some, some other restrictions being lifted at that point, and he had said, why are you doing this? Mandates have been removed. And I said, well, no, they haven't, actually, because you still have a number of federal government workers who are, uh, are not, have not been called back to work.
0: Well, as an example of that, my oldest boy is in PPCLI cadets. And the whole reason he joined three years ago was to go to the camp in Vernon. He's not allowed to go to that camp. So Mm -hmm. he is not welcome. We have a two-tier society. Uh, Flippin' heartbreaking that he can't go to this camp. Um, It is.
1: uh, So, But to
0: go back to your question, this... this,
1: (laughs) So I have seen zero counter protesters um, during my march. I, with those folks, I, I don't know where they were oh, or they... if they were even present in Ottawa when I arrived on the 30th because I never saw them. Mind you, I did have, you know, there was probably a couple thousand people with me when I got into town there. And um, like I said, number two, the one person, the one person, okay, who did not run away, who has something to say, but, and did not run away, immediately away, um, when I tried to have, you know, to explain to them, because I have a little, uh, like information packet that I hand out to folks who are like, who are you, what are you doing and why are you doing this? And I had, we made this up as a, as a, um, a little, a little sheet that you can, an information sheet that you can hand to people and they can take it with them and read what this is all about. And they weren't interested. They didn't really want to know. <laughs> So in response to the counter-protesters, zero uh, people have come forward to say anything and have to have a conversation and where they're getting this idea about white supremacy and, and and hate and all this other stuff is coming from this kind of misinformation network that goes into gear when this kind of thing happens. We saw it happen with the, uh, with the Freedom Convoy and it's happening with me, even though, um, you know, uh, I I've had everybody from all income brackets, from all backgrounds, from all ethnicities come in and give positive words of support to me since this, begin- this began. And, uh, you know, I've welcomed them all
0: because this is what we do as Canadians. This is who we are. So because the mandates haven't been lifted, you're going to keep going. Are you going all the way to, are you going to go? Until the federal mandates are lifted, or are you just going to keep going across regardless?
1: Well, let's let's uh, let's just unpack that a little bit. The mandates have been suspended, quote unquote. So some federal government workers have gone back to work. We know that they are being um, held in place should uh, a new variant of concern arise directly. This is what we're told. And um, and furthermore, we're hearing from Health Canada that to be up to date, again, I'm using air quotes a lot. Yeah. You need now three shots. So, And, and again, we have federal government workers. Uh, some have gone back to work. Members of the CAF are not back to work, and nothing has been done or said to address the nature of these releases. Um, one of the things that I had gone forward with to um, our federal government representatives were potentially some solutions to this issue, and I called it the 3R equation, in that what we're going to need to repair this divide, and this is what I've seen after four and a half months, marching almost every day, meeting thousands of people. There is a significant divide in our country now, and in order to repair it, or to even begin to like, let's repeal all of this stuff completely and fully. It can be shown with you know pretty clear and concrete evidence that most of the measures, restrictions, and mandates that were put into place have caused more harm than good.
0: Which was told ahead of time by the Great Barrington Declaration. A group of scientists and doctors that said, look, this isn't going to work. Like, I know you're scared. I know you want to do something. But none of this is going to have any positive effect whatsoever. Nothing that's even measurable, which now with the data, that is exactly the truth.
1: So, yeah, and I called for repealing everything, I called for reinstating workers, and I called for offering, or at least let's negotiate about some kind of restitution for wages that have been lost and damage that's been done. I know I've met at least five Canadian Armed Forces members who were released with 18, 19, and 19 and a half years of service who were told they're not allowed to complete the service and get their 20 in. So, again, this is the reason why I'm going to continue marching. And furthermore, um, I'm not actually going to go from Ottawa because we uh, live with the team, you know, and we did what we do in the military. We plan and prepare for these things, and we looked at courses of action. And what's going to work for us and and keep us safe and get this completed successfully is if we start in St. John's and march back into Ontario. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, Yet tomorrow, actually, we're driving out to Newfoundland, and we're going to start um, the march from uh, St. John's on the 18th of July and make our way down to GTA and or Windsor.
0: Okay. Is one of the potential solutions for the military, I mean, couldn't they just put everybody on garrison duty and uh, and just leave it at that until everything is resolved and lifted? Is that uh, one of the other ways they could have gone with this?
1: I, I think there's entirely uh, there's a number of different courses of action I, I think they could have taken. This was very um, heavy-handed, uh, probably politically driven, and um, I, I you know there, I, I wouldn't say that um, there there was uh, this was the best course of action for them to this kind of blanket policy. Where you know exceptions were actively discouraged, and you know, like this is this is going to go down, I think, as a kind of disgraceful chapter in our history, where you know we had this kind of discrimination against our own troops on Canadian forces bases, and um, you know, it, it's uh, the 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 things that I've heard coming out of um, the situation is it's it's sad and it's shocking. So,
0: well, it's a type of betrayal, really. Um, tell me how you, if you feel the way I feel about the, um, our service and this situation. So when we were in places like Croatia, um, and you were in Afghanistan, everybody always says, well, you're fighting for the freedom of others. (laughs) You're putting, you're getting your ass shot off and, uh, doing all these things and, then. You're in heavily mined areas and seeing atrocities, and in my case, uh, getting injured with PTSD and sacrificing your life and your and your well-being so that others can have freedom. And yet, uh, freedom is a dirty word in Canada. Uh, that that's the disconnect for me. Is that how you feel as well?
1: Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, this is. Um how it came to this, though, I think, and and what we don't recognize is is the absolutely toxic effect that this this um, traditional media is having on people's minds because you know they're painting reality um, for folks and uh, you know the ones that are not willing or able to kind of make the discernment between what their eyes and ears are are what's coming into their eyes and ears from direct reality or having the reality from uh, a, a screen, right? And it's uh, the, the one that they're getting from the screen is not the right one. It's not the correct one, you know, this is the, like, what are we, what are we allowing ourselves to become with this kind of um, allowing this kind of activity um, to happen in our own country? So for example, like we know now that the emergency act and the emergency measures that were, that were put into place in january and february uh, wasn't done because it was requested by the police forces we know that now it was done at the behest of um, an authoritarian kind of uh principle in um uh, at the pmo's office so like typically there is some sort of uh mechanism that is that has been used before these measures go into effect right so this is what we're at so how is that been allowed to happen why are we just not why is not anybody talking about that
0: yeah why Why are we ignoring the science I don't know now this has come at a great personal cost to you more than just your feet and your back and and all the kilometers you're now facing a court-martial under what charges
1: right so yeah uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that because I think it's important that people realize what exactly is happening here so um, the charges are two counts of uh, 129 um, under the National Defense Act and, uh, and they, as you know, are not criminal charges. They are charges for basically, in a language that everybody can understand, it's misconduct because I went in uniform and made statements uh, critical of the vaccination policy. So that's actually what I'm being charged for. So. Two counts for two videos, one TikTok video and one video where I uh, found a reporter at a rally or sorry, a videographer at a rally to kind of stand in front of and and um, and tell him why I was going to do what I was going to do. Could you
0: face up to the the max of two years at Club Ed for that?
1: Well, potentially, we'll see how it goes down. So the charges um, were laid like within days of those videos coming out. Uh, the investigation was conducted. Uh, initially, uh, I had to, when it came time for me to make uh, the, the choice between a summary trial and a court-martial, on the advice of my lawyer, I chose a court-martial. So a court-martial is something we had asked for months ago because the, the lawyer who I have, uh, Philip Miller from Miller Law, feels that this is the, the way we should we should go about this. And I agree with them. You know, I mean, if we wanna get proper representation and get the facts out there like they should be, it should be something better, more than a summary trial. Now, uh, so just, just to show you how this, this is being used, um, when I went forward and I requested to have an, a meeting with members of parliament, it was released by the media that I was being quote unquote charged in a very prominent headline. So that was back in May. And that was in order to kind of frighten any members of government who felt that they would have a conversation with me. So they didn't want to become guilty by association with this controversial figure. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yep. So the meeting was had regardless. Um, you know that was also used as a kind of wedge issue, and then uh, the day after um, the, the the completion of the march on June the 30th, which was an amazingly peaceful event, um, which was where there was one minor scuffle, <clears throat> and something that I would actually was expecting to happen in some way, but apart from that, it was a it was a, it was a successful event. And the day after it was announced in, in bold headlines that I was being court-martialed. So, you know, it's being presented like, <clears throat> again, this is the manipulation of reality um, by the, uh, by the corporate media that, um, you know, this was, this march was carried out by a service member. And now, you know, from upon high, the uh, department of national Defense is going to lay these charges or, you know, cause me to be court-martialed, you know, soon you know, I I think that the intent was for them to um, paint to the public, you know, I was being punished somehow for, for this March. But the reality is I am in being charged for the videos that I made and making public statements uh, critical of the policy. Now, if it goes to court martial, uh, as I understand it from my conversations with um, various uh, um, legal professionals uh the there is a potential for them to lay further charges, but if they do just stick with the initial charges of one two nine then um uh, absolutely the the worst case scenario with two years and then um the the you know, like <laughs> what what the outcome is ultimately will have to be determined if, in a fair trial and i think that is probably um like what When this goes into um, court, or when they announce the court-martial, if it's something that is expedited, I think is going to be an indication of how politically driven it is. But if it's not, then the process, as you know, to go to court-martial can take months, if not years. So, you know, who knows
0: how long this is going to get dragged out for. And for our civilian audience, I had mentioned Club Ed. What that is, is the military prison in Canada. It's in Edmonton, and the maximum that a military member can spend in there is two years less a day. Anything more than that, and they got to flip you over to a uh, civilian prison, but that's only if there's civilian charges. So if there's just military charges, the max you can do is two years less a day, but it ain't no picnic. A buddy of mine was the warden there for a great long time, Leighton Larson, and uh, it's, it's not an easy go. Uh, it's a long two years if you're at club ed.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not concerned, to be honest. And even if it happens, I think it will be a further indication of just how far we've fallen. So, um, you know, that's I, I, <laughs> not something I, uh, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about.
0: Well, it, it seems to me you're being treated a lot like the Chinese treat their dissidents. And I don't think that's a big stretch to say that. Um, what politicians have actually met with you? and, and had a conversation with you so far.
1: The, 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 the names that, uh, I don't have the names in front of me, but there was the one I'm sure that you can find them. Uh, just do a Google search on uh June 22nd meeting I had, uh, with them. But, um, the, the main issue that is being used to try to, um, create this kind of political turmoil is, um, that the one that did come to meet me, there's 23 of them all together. So let's, uh, to, to be perfectly clear, um, I mailed a letter, both in email and with the help of my team, um, uh, email and mailed um, uh, in, in like physical letters to every member of Parliament, like all of them. So there are 338 of them, not from the top guy to the backbencher. Uh, Including in those that we also included sitting senators. So we sent 338 letters out, and the ones that decided to to show up and have this conversation with me were uh, conservatives. We did we did get a response, a positive response from one member of the NDP, but he actually didn't show up at the meeting on June the
0: 22nd. Well, one's better than none. (laughs) yeah well I mean
1: it's a start like I mean the the fact is that if we're we're ever going to come together again as a society we need to you know overcome these party boundaries right we need um, to be
0: able to talk with each other and have conversations with people that we don't agree with that's what (laughs) if you can't have a conversation with somebody that you don't agree with at least to try and understand where they're coming from you don't live in a free society Uh, has there been even one member of the liberal party that has reached out to you or communicated with you in any way
1: no, not as of yet, but you know, there's still time. So
0: we're <laughs> <You're laughs> we very have, hopeful.
1: This is something we're going to uh, we're going to we're going to continue with this effort because I think this is what the Canadian people need to see this happen. And so, just to kind of clarify, um, you know, I I was in a position, and, and despite the the reasons for it, it would actually you know, despite the physical stress and strain, and the psychological stress and strain, and everything it was it was really a, a an amazing experience to, to be, to be perfectly honest. I met so many people and heard their stories and had conversations with them and got, you know, to meet a lot of amazing people. And I'm not a professional people person. Okay. I was one of the guys that was going to go live in the woods. Like, I mean, yeah. I was, you know, so this is, it was kind of outside of my, my comfort zone in a lot of ways, but you know, it happened. And the fact is, um, underneath all of the mandates and the, and the stress and harm that it's caused to people um, what I was hearing was how much rage there was with regards to how people felt um, about the government's actions like I mean it was it was astonishing to me that this is this is this this level of anger is just simmering under the surface and I think that it needed to be addressed. And furthermore, I also felt a lot of hope. I didn't feel it. I should say I heard it from people. They felt hopeless. They felt in despair. They felt that their government had, you know, kind of pushed them to the margins and into. a and in a way they they're right. You know, I mean so we we're, we were talking about um, the creation of this new minority and that minority was being, you know, discriminated against. And um the the pain was there, the anger was there, and, uh, and the hopelessness and everything was something I heard about, you know, just despite, or not despite, but alongside the stories I heard of how they were negatively affected, you know, not all, just by...
0: Of all the stories, James, people losing their businesses, losing their homes, um, losing their job, losing their career, <clears throat> and with no possibility of repairing it. Was there one story from one person or family in particular that really stood out for you that motivated you to do this?
1: Well, initially it was me um, being placed on leave without pay, getting this administrative release process um, going on. And then uh, what happened was I got this job uh, as a tow truck operator in Hope, where I live, of BC and um, just seeing the way uh, you know you know in, in the armed forces like we are if you spent a lot of time there you often are shielded from the vagaries of uh, you know economic downturns like um, that that the, you know the, the Canadian public often experiences you know what I mean
0: yeah. So to
1: be a part of that, that sector now and see how hard people are working out there and seeing, you know, being exposed to the especially the trucking industry, you know, we we have everything in our sore shelves because it was brought there by a truck and somebody drove that truck. And I was I'm talking about somebody who worked in that highway through hell area and seeing how dangerous it can be. So um just seeing the way that they were treated and and, and vilified that kind of that was one of the things that got me, like I said, I was inspired and outraged, but at the same time, at one point I was walking um, one day. It was a really miserable day in in, uh, Alberta for some reason. It felt like, uh, you know, winter was, was calling its way back. It was uh, probably end of March, early April. We were about four to six weeks into it. And I had just been, you know, walking through this town called Coldale, Alberta, and I got it into my uh, head that uh, you know, like, what what am I doing here? What am I thinking? What do I think I'm going to accomplish? Where does this all end? How much have I bit off? Like, what you know, what's this all about, really? And um, I wouldn't say I was, you know, one of those things where I was almost going to turn around or, or quit or anything, but def- definitely these kind of thoughts were in my mind. And um, I see this fellow approaching me, and he's got this kind of limp. And um, he, he 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 comes up and he identifies himself. His name is Brent. And he says uh, he's he was he's a veteran. He got uh, he re- he got severely injured in Afghanistan in 2006. He got of uh, he got a lot of muscle tissue tore off his leg by a machine gun. And you know he's he he was injured and suffered. And he came up to me and said, "This is really important what you're doing because you now he was working in this town as a teacher and um, you know he's seeing all the same things we're seeing." And he he came up and you know it was good to hear that. At that particular point, that's exactly what I needed to hear to keep, you know, to keep this going. And that's kind of what sustained me pretty much ever since. And um, Brent and I are good friends now. He was actually drove out to participate in that last day on June the 30th. So that that's kind of one thing, you know, there's been a number of things that stood out for me, but that was kind of the one thing I needed to hear on that day. And, you know, in a, in a lesser way, that's happened like on a number of different occasions, you know, especially... Guys serving or, or veterans, you know, they've just pulled over and they jumped out and said, you know, right on, man, this is awesome. And, you know, thank you for doing this. Like It, it happens, you know, even in the remotest parts of uh, northern Ontario, um, like just, you know, five and six times a day, you know, people doing this. So it was it, that kind of thing happened quite often.
0: When you're all done this, do you think you're going to be doing a speaking tour or writing a book about it? Do you have any plans?
1: No, I don't. I, I actually don't. I, I typically, it's like I have a 48 to 72 hour window into the future, and that's as far as I go into the future. So I'm not particularly imaginative, right? So I like to just keep it, uh, keep my feet on the ground. What's going to happen is going to happen, and um, <clears throat> You know what I would really like to do is get my old job back because it was great, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: Now you're not a 20 year old anymore. It looks like you're about my age, and especially if you joined at 91. So what are you about 52, <clears> 48, <throat> <Sure>. yeah, 39,
1: <laughs> 106,
0: <laughs> yeah, 39. How's that work if you got in at
1: 91? Yeah, what can I say. <laughs> um, no, yeah, you're right. The first one. <clears throat> I don't know. I have an issue with this just because it's this guy, I like people keep people, keep, keep, keep people guessing on this, <laughs> but I know where you're going with this. And honestly, um, there was, uh, you know, I had managed to maintain a, a fairly good level of physical fitness over the years. And, um, there was some significant conditioning pains going on at the beginning uh, absolutely there was, but you know, I think it's, um, it's a myth that, you know, you just, you, you break down and you, you wear out. Like I, I have to say, like there was the first day I had to, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get 40 kilometers in. it was, it was an ordeal. And then after that, it got easier. And then the next thing you know, a couple months later we were doing 50 kilometers a day and it wasn't really that big of a deal. Now, I mean, I was exhausted at the end of the day, cause you're looking at 10, 12 hours of of, uh, of marching.
0: Well, the first time I but ever did 32, uh, you and I probably did it together under Colonel Kenward with 80 pound. Absolutely, backs. we
1: did. I, I remember that exercise when um, they left all of the, uh, the ammo the munitions and. In- Pyro back in the in the, in the uh, national park
0: <laughs> and we <laughs> yeah thank God they're all blanks and whatnot but uh, yeah. that thirty two is brutal my my boots were a, uh, a size too big for me and I poured the blood out of my boots when we got back uh, but, um, I
1: distinctly remember that day
0: yeah well we all had easily eighty pounds on our back you know because it was yeah. it was Colonel Colonel Kennard wanted to make it more airborne than the airborne and it was it was brutal yeah.
1: Yeah. And so just to put it in perspective, um, I, that was a 32 uh, K turned out to be like a short day for us, Yeah. but we weren't carrying the weight that we were carrying it back in the day. Like, I mean, it was like uh, the pack I had on was anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds, but it was only heavier when we were going through the mountains. And, you know, it was my, it was our training that kind of did, you know, made this successful because we didn't just march until we, fell over right it was you know there was a discipline there you march for 45 50 minutes take a break and you do that every hour and then that's how we we managed to pull this off so you know 45 to 50 kilometers a day absolutely at the end of the day you're feeling in your feet but um this is one of the ways that you know i don't and i don't want this to uh to to be forgotten that i got here because of the team effort so there was 12 of us that ended up coming together working together closely over the course of like you know this four and a half months um we we got uh, uh we we put some personal funds out got an rv which acted as our kind of mobile office and kitchen and uh, i had folks driving it i had folks driving the safety vehicle cooking meals you know arranging these interviews while we were doing the march and all this kind of stuff happened in the background so it's important to remember you know there was uh this was a disciplined effort, and, and that's why it was successful. And, and as of right now, absolutely, I still kind of feel it, uh, my feet. But, uh, you know, I'm ready to go. Like, we had a good rest. Um, we're coming up on two weeks as of tomorrow, 14 days since we completed the march on June the 30th. And we're going to drive out to, um, to St. John's, like I said. It's going to take us about three days, and then we're going to begin again from east to west this time on um, July the eighteenth. Back to Ottawa? No, no. We got. <laughs> we'll leave Ottawa alone. I think they've suffered enough. But uh, <laughs> they're, they You know, it's kind of funny the way that it was portrayed. Like, you know, this was some kind of mad mob descending on the on the city when I when I was you know marching towards the city, and uh, you know I was happy to prove them wrong in almost every respect because it was entirely peaceful, and a lot of people got something out of it. But uh, this time, I think, you know, I, I, what I, as I understand it, Windsor and GTA are feeling kind of left out. So we're going to, uh, we're going to march back down towards southern Ontario and include them in, um, in this kind of cross-Canada journey.
0: Well, you're the third guy I've talked to that has crossed the country. Fourth guy, actually. And um, have you ever heard of Dana Misey?
1: Is he he did that back in uh, was that for PTSD?
0: No, he just did it uh, to keep a promise to his okay. dad. Uh, but it was the Trans Canada Trail, so he's actually the okay. world record holder, and he did it all off road. All <laughs> oh, good for him. <laughs> all off road. Uh, I think he's got twenty four thousand kilometers in the bank. And um, uh, Joe Roberts, uh, he's the guy that pushed the uh, shopping cart across the country raise awareness for homelessness and drug addiction. And uh, right now, Chad Kennedy is going across the country right now. Have you uh, had any collaboration with Chad?
1: No, no, I haven't.
0: Well, uh, he served as well uh, a short time and um, in, in is now a sheriff. So he's doing c to c for PTSD. So, uh, it's interesting you guys haven't had any, uh, conversations, (laughs) swap intel as you're crossing the country.
1: Well, you know, this, this issue is highly emotional as a hot button, you know, for a lot of people. And it would, you know, like I, I'm, uh, I I don't know where he is or where he, uh, is on his journey, but, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, I wish him well. If we do cross paths, good.
0: Well, I think he's in Ontario somewhere. Last time I looked, but um, yeah, he's doing C to C for PTSD, uh, raising awareness, and all of it is important. And all of it is unbelievable. It's not not like we live in Taiwan. This is a big ass country, you know. Yeah, that is, that exactly. is a lot of kilometers.
1: Yeah, I, I have to say early on, you know, I wasn't really sure what exactly this was, uh, what this was going to come to or how it was going to be resolved. But um, in those early days, I was walking from uh, marching out of uh, Vancouver into the mountains, and I was uh, just happy to uh, be able to experience the, uh, the scenery.
0: You've got a whole lot of time for meditation as you're walking, a whole lot of hours. Have you come to any deep realizations while you've been doing this walk?
1: Not, like, like I said, I'm not, you know, that kind of a thinker. I'm not, uh, I don't really have that much imagination. But uh, what I did come to achieve was a kind of mental clarity that I haven't had in quite some time. Because, you know, when you're just doing that, there's no, I'm not listening to music or podcasts. I have to stay focused on, uh, on what's happening around me. And, uh, you know, I'm not distracted by by screens and by, by phones, except for, you know, the odd occasion when we do do an interview. While, while the march is going on, um, and I, I highly encourage everybody to kind of you know take that opportunity to disconnect yourself. But you know, I mean, for 20, 10, 12 hours a day, I was not you know hampered by any kind of uh, distraction, and I was actually able to, you know, when when somebody came up and talked to me, I I kind of was aware of them in a different way, and I think I have been of people in a lot and a lot of you know, like I listened to what they have to say and. And, um, you know, I don't think I actually did that in the past.
0: I just had a conversation with a guy that spent a full year in a Buddhist month um, monastery in South Korea. And they would meditate 12, 15 hours a day, talking to nobody, didn't speak to anybody for a full year. And it's all about detachment from ego uh, to find your true uh, authentic self. And that is the same thing you're doing one way or the other. It's It's this similar path. But um, is there one thing in particular that you, for the haters out there and uh, the people that have no idea who you are, but they, uh, they're upset about what you're doing anyway for some odd reason. Um, is there one thing that you'd like them to know about who James Top is?
1: Yeah, they can come and talk to me anytime. Like uh, when we're marching, we got I have a I have a GPS tracker on my back that you can uh, narrow down my location to uh, to one meter. So you know, and you can get a ten figure grid off of that. To anybody who doesn't understand that, I'll have to fill you in on uh, MGRS navigation. But um, you know, it's it's fairly easy to find out where I am, and you can come talk to me. I'm entirely, uh, you know, I made this uh, decision that this was going to be something peaceful and constructive. I'm not there to um, you know, I won't rise to any type of insult, you know, not even a physical one. Like if you got something to say, then come say it. And, um, you know, maybe we can even have a conversation.
0: Well, that's what it's supposed to be. We're all supposed to be able to just have a conversation with each other, uh, free of judgment. And that's the way to save the world, man. Just being able to be adults and talk to people with, uh, each other, with people that we disagree with, with some degree of respect and that's when the ego gets involved and people don't seem to understand that uh, you can respect somebody without agreeing with them they're not the same thing they're two different things and uh, just showing respect doesn't mean that um, doesn't mean that you're supporting somebody you're just not being a dick <laughs> that's all yeah. that is. James, thank you so much for your service, your exceptional service. You have a storied career, numerous tours, and um, you're still living the life of service. And if it's any uh, uh, inspiration to you, when Joel Roberts pushed a shopping cart across the country, I think he started at the age of 48, so he's not too far from us. But you're a better yeah, man well, than I, I am, I, say, I tell I, you.
1: I, good for him, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is not about... Uh, like I said, trying to prove a point or, you know, bang my chest and and show people that, um, you know, what my physical fitness capacity, this is about, uh, you know, hopefully doing something positive and, and, and raising awareness about the damage that's been done, but more importantly, being able to listen to people and bring people back together.
0: Yeah. The coldness in people's hearts where they have no curiosity or compassion about the pain that uh, these restrictions have uh, done to people. The irreparable damage, the suicides that have happened, of which I know personally of a few, uh, as a direct result of the lockdowns. People just pretending that that's not real or that it doesn't matter is just so cold, it's so nasty. And I, I don't understand it. I really don't. How it's not how people cannot have compassion for the pain of others. They just say "suck it up, Buttercup." <laughs> I don't get it. But James, yeah. um, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, been a good hour, and I really appreciate you making the time.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, to say my piece and listen to what I have to say.
0: Well, we'll d- probably do it again if you're down with it, and if you're in Calgary, it's, it's always best to get you in studio. And uh, that's always the best way to do it. But please stay on the line while I sign off. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo bonus episode. And thank you for tuning in, everybody. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels because sharing is caring